Today is not a typical Sunday. No, today celebrates the Sunday that stands above and any above and beyond any Sunday ever before and ever Sunday since. Today's not a typical Sunday. Not because today the worship is going to have a different flow and rhythm to it and it, and it will. This is not why today is different. No, today is different. Because the resurrection of Jesus makes today unlike any other Sunday. Today is not going to be a day of quiet reverence. Today is a day of celebration. Because on this day, many years ago, hope triumphed. And we are going to celebrate that there is a real hope for mankind. And there is hope for you and hope for me. Now I want you to try to imagine life without the hope that we get from Jesus. You know, as a pastor, I'm called upon to serve at funerals. I, uh, funerals of people who've lived long into their years. Funerals of those whose passing seemed too early. Funerals for those whose, whose time can be measured in, in just mere minutes. In each and every circumstance at these funerals, there is a desire for hope. That, a hope that this is not the end. Uh, hope that there is more to this life. Hope that there will be another opportunity to speak one more word to that friend or the loved one who just passed. I want you to try to imagine what life would be like without this hope. Imagine sitting there in a room with a friend or a loved one as, as life is, is drawing to its end. A, a body and a mind that was once so strong and alive is now straining and struggling to find breath. And to see fear in their eyes as they, they're struggling to hold on because after their last breath, there's no more. And you're left there cynically thinking how cruel life is. That regardless of how good of a life you've lived, that their ultimate destination is to have life descended to a struggling and difficult end. In such situations, you can see the supreme value of this hope. The hope that this is not the end, that life goes on. And that not only that, but life goes on to, to, a, to a better place. And so we cherish this hope and, and we need this hope to carry on. Now, a skeptic would say, well, um, such a hope is just wishful thinking. That, that merely wanting there to be more, that doesn't make it real. That just because there's a universal desire for, for this kind of hope, that doesn't make it real. I mean, is there any, give, can you give me some, a reason to believe in it? Well, there is a reason to believe in it. Because on this day, on a Sunday morning around the year 33 A.D., Hope triumphed as Jesus resurrected and sprung forth from that grave. That is what we celebrate today. Today, hope wins. They took this Jesus and they put him on a cruel Roman cross. Evil men thought that his crucifixion would serve as a public display of his defeat. But God's plan was for that cross that it would be a public display of his love for all of us, hope triumphed on this Sunday morning. So as part of our celebration this morning, you were given a flower as you came in. And if you missed it, well, they're in the back and you can go get one. But we're going to take what used to be a symbol of death. And we are going to put objects of life all around it. And so during the song Glorious Day, as a part of our worship, this is a group 
art project. We're going to flower this cross. And again, what used to be the symbol of death is now the symbol of love and hope and eternal life. On a simple Sunday morning, nearly almost 2,000 years ago, everything changed. For death could not keep him and the grave could not hold him. And yes, today we celebrate the resurrection of Jesus. We celebrate the hope we have in him, the hope that is certain, a hope that is real, a hope that, that you can build your life on. So church, come stand in the light. Our God is not dead. He is alive. He is alive. Today, we celebrate that he trampled over death by death. Today, we celebrate. My name is Thomas, and I struggle with doubt. I followed Jesus for years. From the very first day he called me, I saw things so amazing they defied explanation. I believed. But then things fell apart. I witnessed the betrayal that led to the cruel march to Calvary and his agonizing crucifixion. I survived, but everyone I knew scattered. My world collapsed. Then came news of the empty tomb, the very first Easter. But I resisted. The image of his broken, lifeless body was still burned into my memory. I experienced his death. Then I couldn't believe not until I see the scars with my own eyes and touch them with my own hands, I told the others. I wasn't ready to put my trust in something again. But Jesus came to me. He knew my doubts. He even named them. But he wasn't angry. He didn't rebuke me or dismiss me. He looked at me with those familiar eyes and offered me his scarred hands inside. In that moment, I experienced his resurrection, and I believed. I know firsthand it's difficult to believe in what you can't see. And yet all around you are people whose lives and stories have scars that bear witness to the meaning of Easter. Yes, these people have been wounded, but they've experienced redemption and healing through Jesus. Jesus' life, death, and resurrection were meant to rescue the doubters, the debtors, and the broken. People like you and me. He met my doubts with grace and love. And he only asked one thing of me. Believe. Now Thomas, one of the twelve, called the twin, was not with them when Jesus came. So the other disciples told him, we've seen the Lord. But he said to them, unless I see his hands and the marks of the nails and place my finger into the marks of the nails and place my hand into his side, I will never believe. Eight days later, his disciples were inside again and Thomas was with them. Although the doors were locked, Jesus came and stood among them and said, peace be with you. Then Thomas, then he said to Thomas, put your finger here and see my hands and put your hand and place it in my side. 
Do not disbelieve, but believe. Thomas answered him, my Lord and my God. Jesus said to him, have you believed because you have seen me? Blessed are those who have not seen and yet have believed. You know, when Thomas saw Jesus, who just days before had been brutally tortured and and he was bloodied and he's got to see his lifeless body carried from that cross to that tomb. When he heard that Jesus had rose from the grave, he says, I cannot believe that. That is too incredible. But then when Jesus appears to Thomas and meets him at the place of his doubt, his response from his heart was my Lord and my God. You see, the resurrection changes everything. It changed Thomas from a doubting follower to a man of unshakable faith. Imagine how strong your faith would be if your own eyes got to see what Thomas saw. Thomas took the gospel from Jerusalem all the way to India, proclaiming the good news uh, that, that God so loved the world that he gave his only son as a sacrifice for their sins, that he was crucified on a cross, and that he rose again from the dead. This gospel that Thomas preached was not popular. In fact, he was ultimately killed in India um, because he was preaching that Christ was crucified and risen from the dead. This uh, tradition holds that Thomas was thrust through with pine spears tormented with red-hot plates and burned alive. Because Thomas had seen, his faith was unshakable in the face of persecution, torture, and even death. Jesus asked Thomas, he says, Have you believed because you've seen me? Blessed are those who have not seen and yet believe. There's a blessing for those who've not seen like Thomas did and still believe. But perhaps you relate to Thomas, thinking likewise that unless... I have some evidence or proof I will never believe. Or maybe you're like this father who once came to Jesus who needed healings for his sons. Jesus says, everything's possible if you believe. And he says, I do believe, but help me with my unbelief. You would say you've got a personal belief in Jesus, but that faith, it has yet to become life-changing. It's yet to become unshakable like it became for Thomas and the other original disciples. And just as God did not want Thomas to linger in doubt because of a lack of proof, so too God does not want you to linger in doubt. And if you believe but you need help with unbelief, God wants you to discover that the resurrection changes everything. You know, the amount of historical evidence for the resurrection of Jesus is utterly astounding. I mean, so much so that we could spend days unpacking the historical evidence for the resurrection of Jesus. But today is not a day to be a seminar. It's a day of celebration. So I'm not going to spend days, but I will offer you five facts that even modern day skeptics agree on that these are facts. And I think that they point very convincingly that Jesus rose from the, from the grave. Fact number one. Jesus lived and died by crucifixion. Jesus lived and ministered in the region of Judea. During the time when Pontius Pilate was the procurator. Over the Judean providence which was ruled by Rome. Around 33 AD. And he was sentenced to death. And he was crucified on a cross. Everyone agrees on that. Fact number two. His disciples believed that he had rose from the dead. And that he appeared to them. I mean, they claimed it. 
We know this because this is what they claimed. They taught it. They shared it. They wrote about it in the New Testament. We also know that this is what they claimed by the writings of of non-Christian historians like Josephus who wrote about what these followers of Jesus claimed. And we know that they believed it. We know that they really believed what they claimed because, because of the lives that they led. Every disciple of Jesus suffered poverty, persecution, torture, and death because of their message concerning the resurrection of Christ. You know, a person will willingly suffer for what they know is false. I mean, they won't suffer for what they know is false. You just, you quit at that point. But these men, they believe that Jesus rose and appeared to them. This uh, skeptic, Paul Fredrickson of Boston University, I mean, he says this. He says, I know in their own terms what they saw was the raised Jesus. That is what they say And then all the historic evidence we have afterward attests to their conviction that that's what they saw. I'm not saying that they really did see the raised Jesus. I wasn't there. I don't know what they saw. But I do know that as a historian, they must have seen something. Fact number three. The church persecutor, Paul, was suddenly changed. Paul was anti-Jesus. Paul was anti-followers of Jesus. And then all of a sudden... He begins to preach Christ crucified and Christ risen. What brought about such a change? Fact number four, the skeptic James, the brother of Jesus, was suddenly changed. James was initially skeptical about his brother Jesus' ministry he, uh, and the claim of being God's son and the Messiah. Yet he too had a sudden change of heart. So much so that James became the leader of the Jerusalem church. What brought about this change? And how dramatic must this change have been? It was enough to have the Jerusalem church choose to follow after the leadership of a former skeptic. Fact number five, the empty tomb. Questions such as why didn't the opponents of the Christian faith point out the dead body of Jesus to put a stop to this new belief in the resurrection. They're claiming he's risen. It would have been so simple for them to say, that's his grave. There he is. But that's not what they did. Christianity... The fact that the opponents of Christianity originally claimed the body was stolen, it suggests a need for explanation as to why the tomb was empty. Listen, there is so much evidence that can help you have the proof that Thomas needed to believe. And so much more evidence worth examining. And for those of you who believe but you need help with unbelief, there is evidence enough to help you move from being a casual follower of Jesus to one who has a life that's been changed that is unshakable, a faith that is vibrant and hope-filled and joyous. Now, to help you, starting next Sunday, we're offering a four-week study, just a small study of the historical evidence for the resurrection of Jesus based on the book and the movie, The Case for Christ. And if you would like to have a personal understanding, I invite you into that class. It'll meet at 9 a.m. and uh, opportunity for you to go from doubt to, well, what is real? If you came in today with doubts, God will meet you where you are, just like Jesus came to Thomas. And it's my contention that these five facts that I've given you point rather convincingly that Jesus rose from the grave. God may be drawing some of you now to stop living in doubt and come discover for yourself the proof that there is for anyone who's willing to investigate. When Thomas saw Jesus... It was enough to stop his doubting and his response from his heart was my Lord and my God. 
our Lord, our God, because the resurrection, it changes everything. See, the resurrection, it changes everything. And my prayer for each and every one of you is for you to allow the power of Christ to change everything in your life. I mean, if if Jesus has power enough to triumph over sin and death, then it stands to reason that Jesus has enough power to rescue you and I from life's other smaller troubles. I find it remarkable how easily people will, will give Jesus, we will give Jesus our souls. We will readily embrace Jesus for the salvation experience. We will believe that because of the resurrection, the greatest miracle ever done, the greatest victory ever won, um, that we could trust Jesus with our souls. And we believe that when we die and we close our eyes and we open them anew in heaven, that we will see his face. We believe this. We'll see those nail-scarred heads. When we believe that Jesus has power enough to conquer death, but when it comes to our finances, our relationships, our future, well, that's much harder to believe in. We, we say, I can trust you, Jesus, with my soul, but for some reason, trusting you with my marriage, my kids, my job, well, that's much harder. Without thinking it, our actions say, Jesus, I believe you have enough power to conquer death and conquer my sin, but I don't believe you have enough power to conquer my addiction. I wonder... If God might be reaching out to some of you today, calling you to step out of partial belief and half-hearted trust. You see, God desires for you to experience his love and the freedom that comes from following his son. Now, there's this verse that is, that is much cherished in our scriptures, but it's often misunderstood. John eight thirty two says, And you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. This is a favorite verse for many. Because we think this verse tells us that if, that if we tell the truth or are told the truth, that we will be set free. But that's not what this verse teaches. I want you to understand this verse in the context with the verse that comes right before it. So let me read the two of them together, starting at verse 31. So Jesus said to the Jews who had believed him, If you abide in my word, you are truly my disciples, and you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. The NIV puts it like this. If you hold to my teaching, you are really my disciples and you'll know the truth and the truth will set you free. I want you to notice who Jesus is speaking to. He is speaking to a group of Jews who believe. They believe Jesus is God's son, that he is the promised Messiah. But notice that Jesus desires more than just an intellectual acknowledgement of who he is. He wants them to be real disciples who not only acknowledge who he is, but who also hold to, who apply his teaching to their lives. You see, it's only after actually living according to his teaching that then a person experiences the promise of being set free. I wonder how many of you here today are struggling and confused. You wonder why your expectations of God's promises are not being met. You see other people living in freedom while you struggle with the same old struggles and bondage. I wonder, is God calling you right now, saying it's time to trust Jesus, not only with your soul, but also your life and well-being now? Is it time to trust him enough to learn his teaching and then live by his teaching? You see, belief without action is empty. Acknowledging that there is a God and Jesus is his son, it, it's, that's not what brings freedom. Living according to his teaching does. In James chapter 2, the brother of Jesus says, You believe there is one God, good. 
Even the demons believe that and shudder. See, how many people live thinking that the promises of God hinge merely on them acknowledging him occasionally? The Bible tells us that demons believe in God. And the demons acknowledge that Jesus was God's son. I wonder how many of you God is speaking to right now, inviting you to experience the truth. To experience the truth that will set you free. God is calling you now to step beyond belief and trust him as a disciple. To trust Jesus to guide your life with his spirit and his word. Truth will set you free. But this truth is not meant to be an ornament that you wear around your neck and just bring out when you feel like you're in the mood and you're feeling kind of spiritual. It's meant to be experienced as you hold to and live by the teachings of Jesus. You see, the resurrection of Jesus will give you assurance of eternity, but it'll also give you the power for a changed life. Yes, the resurrection changes everything. And it's belief in the resurrection that it's, that is the essential component of salvation as well as the essential aspect of Christian living. You know, Romans 10.9 says, If you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. I cherish verses like these because it makes that which is most important beautifully clear. There is the promise of salvation if you do these two things. Confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead. Confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord. Let me elaborate on this because because God desires that not one of you misunderstand this. Confessing that Jesus is Lord includes being willing to admit to others that not only do you believe he is the son of God, but that you also have given him your life, that he is your Lord. Your boss, your king, your commander, your life belongs to him. It also means that like when Thomas saw the resurrected Jesus, he says, my Lord and my God. Confessing Jesus is Lord is a confession that Jesus is God. The word used here for Lord is a word that is exclusively used to reference God. To confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord is a confession that Jesus is God. Thomas made that confession when he saw the risen Jesus. You know, there's a lot of cults out in the world today who who admonish Jesus. They speak well of Jesus. But if you ask them, do you believe that Jesus is God? They'll say, I I can't believe that. That's what separates a a, a cult from, from Christian faith. What about you? Does your faith move you enough to be willing to say, That you believe Jesus is Lord. That Jesus is God. Can you confess to family, to friends, to strangers? Or is your faith a hidden part of your life? Like like, something like like what you wear, like a fashion. Something you put on for church, but you take off when you go home or when you go to work. I've heard people say things like, well, what I believe is private. This verse that makes what is most important beautifully clear... It tells us that salvation is not meant to be kept private. It's something that must be confessed. Jesus will be your personal Lord and Savior, but personal doesn't mean private. He's personal in that he will save you personally, but his salvation is not meant to be kept private. Can you confess him as Lord? Can you confess him as God? It says, confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart. Believing in your heart. Have you heard the phrase, talk is cheap? 
God knows that talk is cheap. God knows that we can say all sorts of things in an attempt to gain advantage or avoid trouble. We, we can say all sorts of things. And saying Jesus is Lord can certainly be spoken, but not truly believed. That's why the scripture goes on to say, if you believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead. For what matters most to God is your heart. Jesus once said to this group of religious leaders, he talks of them, he says, these people honor me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me. Talk is cheap. Scripture also teaches us in 1 Samuel, it it says that that God looks at the heart. Man looks at the outward appearance, but God looks at the heart. You see, salvation is not a matter of religious observance, saying the right words and doing the right things. It is a matter of heart belief. Notice that scripture doesn't say if you believe in your head. There's a significant difference between believing in your head and believing in your heart. I can believe all sorts of things in my head that don't make a difference in the way I live my life. I mean, I believe that George Washington was the first president of the United States. But that belief does not matter a bit when it comes to loving my wife, being honest with people. Belief in George Washington does not factor at all into any decision I make on a daily basis because I believe it in my head. Believing in your heart is altogether different. Something you believe in your heart will impact every aspect of your life. Believing in your heart, it matters in your home. It matters at work. It's, it's core. It's foundational. It's, it's, it forms who you are as a person. Something you believe in your heart will impact every aspect of your life. If you confess Jesus, if you confess with your mouth Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. The resurrection changes everything. When you believe in your heart that God raised Jesus from the dead, then that resurrection drives you to the feet of Jesus to be his disciple and to learn from him. If, if Jesus can promise to rise from the grave and then he rises from the grave, then, then his teachings obviously must rise far above all other teachings man could give. When Jesus says it's better to forgive, then his resurrection gives me reason to forgive. When Jesus says in his father's house are many mansions and he goes to prepare a place for me, then his resurrection is the source of my hope. When Jesus says he is the way, the truth, and the life, and no one comes to the father except by him, then his resurrection becomes my confidence that Jesus is the only way to salvation, the only way to heaven. The resurrection changes everything. It changed my heart. It changed how I love my wife, how I parent my children, how I treat people, how I spend money. It transforms dry, lifeless religion into a life-changing relationship. The resurrection changes a worship service from being a boring length of time that I have to endure through to a vibrant celebration that I cherish and I look forward to. What changed was not the worship service. What changed was my heart. The resurrection changes everything. If you believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. The resurrection changes your eternity. So let's consider what we believe in our hearts. When you consider your life, you know whether the resurrection of Jesus impacts your daily choices. Or if it's just this cerebral acknowledgement that you reference only when you're in the mood. Have you believed in your head? Or do you believe in your heart? I believe God is speaking powerfully to some of you now. Calling you to himself. 
calling you to be saved, calling you to surrender, to believe in your heart and be saved. It's so easy for us to do the religious things, but God didn't call us to a religion. He calls us to a relationship. God cares more about what's in your heart than what's on the surface. We fixate on what's on the surface. Some of us really try hard to clean up the surface and think that that's going to impress God. He looks at the heart. What's in your heart? How have you believed? Can you confess that Jesus is Lord, that Jesus is God? Have you believed in your heart? Has it become the foundational belief of your heart? If so, you'll be saved. If not, you sit here today lost. And your trajectory is doom. But God wants to save you. God sent his son Jesus who lived a sinless life. Who did not deserve the cross that he bore. He bore it for you and myself. He did what you and I could not do on our own. And he says, if you'll trust me, if you can confess with your mouth that I'm Lord and believe in your heart, you'll be saved. Some of you today, God has brought you here because he wants you to be saved. So let's, let's bring the volume down just a bit and, and, and hold the drums down. Just go. You can keep playing, but no drums right now. God's brought you here because he wants to change the entire direction of not just your life, but your entire eternity. He's calling you right now. He knows how you believe. He sees what's in your mind and he sees what's in your heart. He's drawing you unto himself. So I want to take these moments to give God opportunity to do what he brought you here for today. So if we would, if everybody would bow their heads and close their eyes. I'm going to walk through the sanctuary. And I'm looking for the ones that God is calling to salvation right now. You've been in church. You've done religion. You've tried your best. But it's all been up to you. It's been you doing. And God wants you today to trust what he did. Not just in your mind, but in your heart. And he's speaking to you. And you feel it. And you know that if death were to come for you today, that the end result of your life would not be to meet God in heaven, but to be given the consequences that all of us deserve for the things that we've done. But God wants to save you. God went to great lengths to save you. He sent his son Jesus. And Jesus paid the price that you needed to pay. But you couldn't. And he says if you trust me. If you'll have faith in me. I'll save you. Can you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord. And believe in your heart. God raised him from the dead. So I'm going to walk through. And what I want you to do. I want every eye to stay closed. But if God is talking to you about your need for salvation. I want you to make eye contact with me so I know who you are, so I can pray for you specifically. If God is speaking to you, I'm going to count to five. And when I get to five, I just want you to start looking at me. And don't put your head down until you and I make eye contact. Because this really is the most important thing. This is the one thing God doesn't want you to miss. So if God is speaking to you about the fact that 
your heart does not believe. And you, you, re, you recognize that that's what you need and that's what you want. Then on the count of five, would you make eye contact with me? I'm going to walk through this whole sanctuary to make sure not one is missed. But if on the count of five, if you'd look at me, then we can make eye contact and I can know. And I can pray for you as your pastor. So one, two, God speaking to you. God, give them courage. Three, four, and five. If that's you, would you look up at me? I see you, son. I see you. Anyone else? I'm coming through. I see you. I see you. Thank you for looking. Thank you. Anyone else? God is speaking. God has brought you here because God wants you. You looking at me? I see you, man. Thank you. Thank you. Are you looking at me too? I see you, sir. I see you. Anyone else? Are you looking at me? I see you, man. Thank you. Thank you for that. This is good. This is what God desired. He desires our worship. But he wants you. He loves you. Anyone else? Are you looking at me? I see you. I see you. Are you looking at me? I see you, sir. You too? Good, good. Are you looking at me, son? Good. Are you? Excellent. Good. Oh, Father God, how marvelous you are. How great is your love that, oh, that you would give your son for us. And that you would draw us as rebellious and wandering as we are. Thank you, Jesus, for those who have responded. And I pray, Lord God, that, um, that you would grant them the, the, the faith and courage to take their next steps in learning what it means to follow you as their Lord. But now with every head bowed, God's brought some of you here. He knew you were saved. You've believed, but you're not set free. You don't hold to his teachings. And God is talking to you today about your character, about how you live your life. There, there are things that you, you, you've, you've called him Lord, but you keep doing it your own way, and it's not working for you. And God wants you to have a life that is full and free. And so this next invitation, I'm going to make it shorter, but I'm going to walk through just as I did because I want to know you and I want to pray for you. I want you to come, I want you to look up at me. If God is talking to you about your character, if God is talking to you about something that needs to change in your life, would you look at me so that I can pray? We're not going to be here as long for this one, but if that's, the, if that's you, I want you to look at me. I'm going to count to three, and I hope you have enough courage by then. Father God, grant them that courage. But one... Two, three. If God's talking to you about your character, are you looking at me? I see you. I see you. Thank you. Thank you. I'm going to be praying for you. I see you. Anyone else? I see you. I see you, sir. I see you, man. Anyone else? I see you. Good. Thank you, God. He's talking to you. Good. It's so good that God would keep us on his radar, not let us go. I see you both. I see you both. He's talking to you. Wonderful. What a great and gracious Heavenly Father we have. I make my way down this other side. 
anyone else that I haven't made eye contact with. God is speaking to you about your, the way you live. Is he talking to you? Wonderful. Is he talking to you? Good. Good. Father God, thank you. Oh, you just, you, you, you don't let us get away. You love us just the way that we are, but you love us too much to leave us that way. And you want more than just for us to get to heaven. You want us to have a restored and redeemed life now. Thank you for speaking to us, Father God. So I'm going to ask you one more thing. And you can all look at me now. Thank you, Father, for this moment. But I want to ask you to take a bigger step. You see, none of us are special because we recognize there's a problem. Everybody has an awareness that there's a problem. You're special when you do something about it. For those of you who looked at me for the first invitation, God is talking to you about what's in your heart. Listen, as a pastor, I know God wants more than just for you to get to heaven. He wants you to have that abundant life now. And so it's part of what I'm supposed to do here. It's part of what this church is supposed to do here to help you to, to take those steps of faith and grow as a disciple. And so, it's, so I'm asking you to go beyond just a one moment of looking and recognizing that there is something amiss. I want you to come forth, receive that salvation, but let us help you take your next steps. So I'm going to ask you that when this next song gets played, if you looked at me during that first, I'm asking you for courage to come forward here. Because there's several of you. I'm, I'm going to do my best to remember your face. But it'd be much better if I could know your name. How to call you. How to touch base with you. I'm asking you to come forward. We're going to sing this beautiful song. That invites you to come. Come to the altar. The Father's arms are open wide. He's reaching out to you today. Would you come? If that's you. When that, when that first note hits. That first word is sung. I need someone to lead the way. To be first. And come and meet me here. And let's begin. This relationship God would call us to. So lead us. And if God's spoken to you, and you need to salvation, you come. Come. Everyone, let's stand. Father, grant somebody some courage to be first. Come your name. Oh, Jesus, we celebrate your resurrection. We're humbled by your love for us, that you would come and give your life, suffering on a cross, to rescue us from the many sins we've committed. Only your perfect sacrifice could wash away my sin. Only your blood. Thank you for giving your life for us. And thank you for the hope that you now give to us. As you conquered both sin and death and rose again victorious. We know that there is nothing that is beyond your power. You are strong enough to save us from sin. Strong enough to rescue our souls. Strong enough to guide us in this life. And strong enough. To bring us into the next. Jesus may the reality of your resurrection. Be the source of our faith. And the hope and the strength. We need to carry on in this world. Until your return. Amen.
the deal. Listen, understanding that Jesus calls us to not just only believe, but to follow him and grow as a disciple, I want to invite you to come back, uh, to take steps personally to deepen your faith. Now, now starting next week, we've got, uh, we're going to start a, a fun series called Fallen Heroes. These are heroes from the Bible um, and how they messed up. A lot of times you can study like what they did right. We're going to study what they did wrong. And what you'll see is, is that God would, like, if God would use people as messed up as those folks, that he could probably do something with the mess that we've made of our lives, all right? And so it's going to be a great study. And just to I invite you back on that. Also, like, if you're visiting here today, um, we want to do a, a special gift to folks on Mother's Day. So uh, we're going to do family portraits around here. Now, like, I've seen this. Mamas who want their sons to come to church, like, some of you could just blow your mama away to say, hey, come to church with me. And then let her go home with a, with, with a picture of her family. What a great gift that would be. And we want to invite you back for that. And listen, if you're one and, uh, and you, you, look, you made eye contact with me, all right? But you did not come forward, all right? It's n- with God, he's, he's, he gives a lot of chances, all right? It's never too late until it's too late, all right? But, um, but to come in, I, I'm here for you. This is, this is not going to be a mega church where you have to, you know, make an appointment months in advance to, to speak to a pastor. I'm here, and uh, I want to help you. And uh, we've got some, uh, uh, some ways to help you take your next steps. Because it is, you follow Jesus as a disciple, and there's always steps involved. There's always movement, and I want to help you with that, all right? And um, so, so uh, reach out and connect, okay? Um, but, but since you didn't give me your number directly, it's up on you. So come on, let's make it happen, okay? It'll be a good thing. And then um, there's a lot of exciting things uh, developing here at this church. I'd love to see each of you be a part. And, uh, um, but today's not an advertisement. Today is a celebration of who he is and what he's done.